Well, uh, Jesus is an interesting character. If you talk to um, pretty much any person uh, in your life, doesn't matter if they're a person of faith or not of faith, they, they look at Jesus and everybody sort of has an opinion. And, and, and he's seen in different ways. For some people, he's seen as a good or wise teacher, a very moral person. And they'll see his words as being very helpful if you choose to lift some of those out. Other people say, no, no, he's more than that. He was a prophet, not just a good teacher. He was a prophet, and from that, he brings certain truths from God to us. And still others, like us as a church, will look and say, Jesus is fully God, uh, came into this world, reveals the good news of God, that we can be saved. And from that, we see his word in a certain light, right? Lots of people see Jesus in lots of different ways. But fundamentally, when we get into the Gospel of Matthew, we see in the picture of Jesus a true revolutionary. A radical of the truest form, because unlike many revolutionaries who would roll in and say, here's how we have revolution. We overthrow through force, or we use violence, or we manipulate, or we use the the social structure of the day to do it. Jesus rolls in with a manifesto that is completely different than the world has ever seen or experienced. And so in three simple chapters, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, he spells out, man, here is the heart, the function, the attitude, the disposition, the morality, and the ultimate mission statement of my church, because it's my purpose. And so it truly is a manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible or an app or a Kindle or an iPad or whatever you got, please open up right now to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And we're starting in verse 13. Now, last week when we were together, we started off and looked at the Beatitudes. And and it was an interesting thing because what we really came to experience in a very uncomfortable way is that the Beatitudes are not antiques. By that, what I mean is they're not meant to just be looked at and admired and put on a shelf and go, wow, those are really, really profound. We should put those on a pillow or on a coffee mug or on a bumper sticker. Those are so deep. No, these are tools. These are practical. These are to be exercised, these blessed attitudes. And, And some of them are pretty tough. They're hard. Now, one of the things we didn't highlight as much last week is the fact that those eight statements, they're promises. In other words, if you do these different things, God is going to bless you. And if you do these different things, uh, you're going to be fulfilled and satisfied and you're going to receive mercy and uh, you're going to be seen as a son of God or a daughter of God and all these great things. They were promises given to all who follow Jesus, but they're not necessarily commands. In other words, there may be some of us that look at this and say, man, that's just too much. I would rather be self-assertive. I'd rather stir up trouble. I would rather cause problems. I would rather do my own thing. And you know what? You can do that, but you miss out on a lot of blessing. You miss out. And so that's why Jesus gives these. He says, man, I want to bless you. I want you to have a happy life. And if you do these things, you will be happy in the most eternal sense, in the deepest part of your core. Hey, you're going to be happy. That's the promise I make. But again, they were promises. They weren't necessarily commands. But when we enter into verse 13 of Matthew, Jesus shifts. I mean, he gives us a great sense of what the disposition of his kingdom is all about, right? Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, 
hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? These great things, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, even persecuted for it. See, these are great dispositions, but now I want to talk about your purpose. Your purpose. What's the purpose of this king? What's the purpose of this kingdom? What's the purpose of being a part of this manifesto? And Jesus is going to do this in a very simplified way. Right? He's not going to necessarily outline like 50 things for our purpose. In fact, if anything, he's going to tell us we really just have one purpose. He's going to illustrate it with two icons. And so I'd say today, there are two things you need to know. If you follow Jesus... There's just two things you really need to know as you look at this part of the Sermon on the Mount. The first thing you need to know is that you and I and everybody who follow Jesus, you are salt. You are salt or incarnated sodium chloride for the RC nerds that are in the room. All right, so you are salt. In fact, even as I was looking at it this week, and especially for the nerds, I thought, you know, we need a t-shirt. So I designed a t-shirt for us this week right there in ACL. Get shaken, bro. All right. So um, I am so going to sell this. I'm telling you what. So that took me a solid 22 American seconds to come up with that. All right. So that's thoughtfulness right there. All right. So now Jesus says it, you know, pretty simply. He just says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth, right? You've probably heard that. Oh, that lady, she's she's the salt of the earth. But Jesus was the first dude to really come up with this idea. And sometimes if you read like commentaries or scholars, they get all stodgy about what exactly is salt? What did Jesus mean? It was a preservative. It was, you know, they get all this stuff. Salt's awesome, right? I mean, think about it. I was doing some research on salt this week. Think about the uses for salt. We use salt for pulp, Paper, dyes, textiles, we use it for soaps and detergents, de-icing, thank you for those of us on Mountain View Road. Uh, We use it for traction, right? We love it for that. If you look about just our own human bodies, right, we have this very unique taste for salt. We are dependent on salt. It regulates our water in our body. It regulates how electricity flows through the body to make the body work properly. I mean, in that sense, it's amazing. It's essential for life. You think about salt, it's cool, you can pinch it, dash it, rub it, mine it, pass it, right? You can talk about whether somebody is worth it, that's pretty cool. In fact, the word salary comes from the Latin for salt, because it was a form of payment, right? So salt is just centered on everything. As a metaphor, it's used of wisdom and insightfulness and sometimes of worth or value, and you look at all kinds of salts that exist. You've got bath salts and rock salts and table salts and coarse salts and finishing salts. And you've got sea salt and gray salt and kosher salt and grinder salt and organic salt and run for us, run. And, you know, I mean, like, you know, you have all kinds of salt. That's why I say, in the end, man, salt is awesome. Because salt's good for everything. I mean, right here, I've got me a good old-fashioned American salt lick. I love the salt lick, man. Just, mm, oh, yeah. Like, be awesome. I mean, I love salt. I go to McDonald's. I'm a three-pack guy on fries, man. I, you know, love the salt. It's what it's there. I mean, the fr- that's why they make the fries, so I can enjoy the salt. That's really what it's about. 
So, in essence, when Jesus says this, what he's saying, you know, I think about like in 1 Peter it says we're all these blocks in the temple of God. I'm like, no, we're salt licks. We're all salt licks. In the temple of God, we're all salt. Jesus has made us to be this in the world. And so we look at this and go, this, this is what I'm meant to do. This is how I'm meant to act and react. I mean, even the crazy things about salt, the mysterious things about salt, like, you know what? It's both corrosive, but it purifies and cleanses. I mean, it's a mystery in there, right? It dehydrates, but we pull it from water. I mean, it's like this mystery. I mean, salt is just that cool. And so when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, it's like all those definitions apply. In other words, what he's saying is it's central for life. Everything depends on salt. The world would not exist if it weren't for salt. And so he looks at his followers and he says, listen, I have saved you to have that kind of influence in the world in all sorts of ways, all diversity that you can imagine. That's how I want you involved. But with my name attached. As you go out and you help and you aid and you care and you preserve and you you do it with my name attached. And notice he doesn't say you should be or you could be. He says you are. He doesn't make this like an option. He doesn't say like you just kind of work to that as a Christian. He says like just day one, man, you start following me, you're salt. And so we need to think in terms of, well, great, how, how can I be salt? Because notice it says salt of the earth. See, what that means is salt is not for the shaker. It's not for the shaker. See, church is great. It's like the shaker. We all get together. We get to hang out in the shaker. We come together and we learn in the shaker. This is the shaker or this is the world's greatest salt lick right here, right? So either way. But it's not just meant to salt its own saltiness and be done. It's not just to stay in the shaker. We're supposed to come out of the shaker and rub into the world. I mean, that's the idea that's implied because it's not for us. It's not just for those who are saved. It's not just for the kingdom contingent. It's for them out there. And so we do things that salt does. Like we said, salt purifies. It purifies. And so we're to be out of the salt shaker, rubbed into the world with the desire to bring purity to the world. And I want to tell you what I mean by that. It's not necessarily us running around saying, impure, 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 ah, impure. We don't do that. What we need to do is say, you know what? Apart from Jesus, I'm impure. Apart from Jesus, man, I was a mess. Apart from Jesus, I was rotting. And until he touched me with the salt of the gospel of grace, I was just going to rot into nothingness. In my good works or my good deeds or my own way of doing life, whatever it was. And so what purity we bring is the good news of Jesus. Jesus can purify. It's why as a church we always say we are imperfect people redeemed by a perfect God. We are imperfect. And so the message of purity we bring is not trying to hold the unsaved world to our moral standards. It's saying that nobody can keep God's moral standards unless you have the purity that only Jesus can bring, the righteousness that only he can impart, the perfect standing that he establishes, we don't establish it. And so we're to be that source of purity in the world. Another thing is salt preserves. And we are to preserve certain things that are important. 
We preserve what true marriage is. Not just the sanctity of marriage. Not just it's a man and a woman. We should be preserving what makes ideal marriages. Beautiful marriages. Marriages that others go, I want that. I actually envy the beauty of your marriage. I mean, this is really the kind of uh, preserving we should bring to our culture. Not just that we're rearing kids with good values, but we're rearing kids in such a way that we really disciple them and we love them and they know it and we have a healthy family. That's the kind of purity we want to bring to the table. That's the preservation we want to bring. We want to bring values that are humble. Values like the Beatitudes. Mourning, meek, merciful, peace-creating. Right? That's how we bring preservation as salt. Another thing salt does is it enhances. In fact, I read a great quote this week. It says, salt is what makes things taste bad when it is not in them. Um, I thought, I can get behind that. I had to read it three times, but then I could get behind it. So, um, and, and I thought, man, how, how perfect. Because you think about salt. I mean, again, go ahead and lick this, and you'll need to go run for the bathroom. I mean, it's strong. Because it's like, I've licked it three times. All right. So um, you got to test to see how it's going to play. All right. So um, afterwards, we'll have the salt lick out in the comments. It'll be awesome. So um, sanitizes itself. Okay. So anyway, um, what's true about salt, though, I mean, it's, it, it, it's strange because if you put too little Right? Everything's bland. But if you put too much, it overpowers. And I think Jesus even wants us to consider that. I, I think sometimes, for there's times in our lives, all of us, where we go, yes, I am salt, I'm the salt of the earth, and so we grab the shaker of our life and we go, ah, look at that, I got a grain, got a grain, got a grain. Here you go, here you go, here you go, world. Right? You know, like that. Like, I'm salting the earth, you know? One little grain at a time. I'm taking it with a grain of salt. See, it's even a good thing. All right, so, you know, like we do that. And so it just leaves things kind of bland because, again, our influence isn't felt. Our sense of uh, presence is not really established. It's like we're just doing life like everybody else, and so it's just bland. But other times, man, we roll into the full-on salt look, like we're this giant Christian Pez dispenser. You know, like here, you know? It's like, that was pretty cool, actually. Um... All right, so, and we go, hey, have some salt, you know, and it's just, we overpower, we jam it down people's throat, we're like, here, suck on this, I mean, this is great, and, and, and people are like, I don't, I don't even know, what to do. you're just freaking me out, you're just a weird Bible thumper that's creeping me out right now, and I'm afraid to go home now, I mean, you know, it's like, whatever, and so Jesus, he, he, he's, he's so good at teaching from things that we all know. We all know that too little salt is bland, too much is overpowering. And he says, yes, in the same way, you need to find that good blend in the world where you bring purity and you bring the sense of preservation and you bring a sense of enrichment. But not too little and not too much. You do it in such a way that people go, man, I, I, I really, I'm, I'm interested in that. Or I get that. Or even, as we'll see later, they may be offended by that, but they're not offended by our personality or our disposition of delivery. They're offended by the fact that Jesus said, I'm the only way. And they go, that's what I don't like. You're a nice guy, but I don't like the message. I don't like the Jesus. That's totally acceptable. And that's going to be sometimes what happens when we're, we're salt. 
It's notorious. It's just the challenge of it all. And so we're always looking, and wow, that just went away. Um, Like, there's a big blue light suddenly, and it wasn't blue a minute ago. All right, so we look at this idea of salt and how we find that blend. And I think it's really looking and saying, okay, how do I bring aid to my world? Right? In all sorts of ways. How do I bring aid? Because again, salt is just essential for life and it does all sorts of things because salt is awesome again. Right? So, how do we do that? I just need to look around. I need to look around and say, man, where is there a need? A clear need. Where is there a person that is hurting? And maybe their hurt isn't big to you, but it's big to them. So in the name of Jesus, you come and you bring some aid or encouragement. Maybe it's somebody that's struggling with a child that's off the rails, or somebody that's struggling with a marriage that's broken, or maybe it's struggling with a student, a friend of yours at school, and you know they're just their life's up in the air, and they don't know what they're going to do next, and they're discouraged, and their home life is a drag, and we come in, and we bring that right blend. Not too bland, not overpowering, just right in the name of Jesus. I think being salt can be things both in the church and out of the church. Right? Where we go, hey man, there's a need. How do I even impart that so others can go and do this? I was just talking to Steve Rutherford, uh, who runs our children's ministry, uh, RC Kids out there. And he came up to me and says, Matt, we really need more teachers. We just need teachers right now as a church. And I go, what a great opportunity to be salt even in-house to those who are going to grow up and go out and be salt. They need the encouragement. They need the example. They need the teaching. They need a teacher that's going to make that next generation deposit. So you go, man, that's a need, I can do that. Maybe it's just being an inspirer in life because, boy, life is not always inspiring. Maybe it's when bad things happen to you, you trust a good and sovereign God, and so you don't let it swallow you up. You maintain hope, and you maintain a sense of peace, and you maintain a sense of trust in God. And others look at that and go, wow, that's really different. You lost your job, but you're really calm, and you trust God, and they, they'll notice that. That's That's salt. Jesus said, I came to give you an abundant life, John 10, 10. So it's just living abundant. Laugh a lot. That's a shocker for people, right? Brag about your spouse. Love on, hug your kids. Let people see that. Show that life is is bigger than normal in your world because Jesus is so sufficient. That's salt. All those things are beneficial. All those things are a blessing. All of those things help. And so I believe when Jesus says this, he's saying, think about it in all those ways because you are the salt of the earth. The earth is not going to find it anywhere else. It's just not going to find it anywhere else. You're it. We're it. And so we take it seriously and we take it in, in a way where we go, man, I'm excited about that. There's all kinds of potential and possibility. And the cool thing is, the more tightly we couple to Jesus, the more that's just going to be true. Uh, The more Jesus is real and true and our lives are committed to him, the more we're going to love living as salt. And people will see those things. And so, man, that's the salt of the earth. That's the stuff we're called to. Jesus goes on and says, you're not simply salt. He says, you are also light. You are light. And I think we have another nerdism up there someplace. But that's what you are. Right? You're light. In fact, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said, a city set on a hill 
cannot be hidden. It just can't. So I, I, I want to see if I can I capture the essence of this right now. And so uh, what, I, what, I, what I need is the lighting booth up there. I need you guys to turn off all the lights in the house. I need you guys to turn off the light there on the projector. I need total blackout in here. That's not total enough. Ah, uh, look, I got two big men, like, guarding the doors back there. Thank you. Right there. Is that Charles? Thanks, Charles. That's awesome, man. Appreciate that. All right, so, black is creepy. Black is totally creepy. And this is sort of the world. It's in darkness. Jesus says that. It's in darkness. And so what Jesus says then is, because you're in a darkened world that doesn't have the gospel, you need to be light. Right? And here's the crazy thing about light. When you're in a dark room, it, it instantly... It's just noticed. I mean, you've got thousands of cubic feet of darkness in this room. You have roughly about one cubic foot of light here, at least the device, and it cannot be overwhelmed by all the darkness. I mean, it just can't, right? No matter what happens. And so, in the same way, Jesus is like, man, if you're just a simple light in a darkened world, it attracts. I mean, when a light is lit in darkness, people follow that light. They look at that light. They notice that light. They're captivated by that light. In fact, if you've ever been in a situation where you're stuck out in some place and you don't have light and it gets dark, you start to, it gets a little creepy, right? I mean, that sucks, right? But a little light, that's where I need to go. I see light. That's the way out. And so when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he means a lot of things by that. In one sense, actually all of it's about illumination, but what he's saying is, you're the light of the world, and so you show me, because Jesus is in John 8, I am the true light of the world. I come into the world so all men may see the truth. We see that the word of God is a light unto our feet, a lamp for our path, and and so from that, the spirit is what we testify to when it comes to light. We see that God the Father saves through the gospel, which is the glorious light of his person in 2 Corinthians 4.4. So see, we're we're to hold it up. It's to be loud, it's to be proud, it's to be cranked. That's what it should be. But see, sometimes we have all sorts of little problems with being light. Sometimes we want to see how low can we get it without it not being light. And so we kind of carry it low even. Right. Or what we do is we say, I know these people over here, so I'll show the light to them, but not to you. (laughs) So one side doesn't get it, the other side does. Or sometimes what we do is we go, this little light of mine is mine. My precious. All right, so. um, (laughs) There is. Light is glorious, all right. Right? So, we are light. And we're to show our light. And we can bring these house lights back up now. Oh, I know. Somebody's like, come on, it was so fun in the dark. Well, we're not done with light yet. All right, so, right? Now, now here's, when I think about this from, some, from kind of a Christian perspective even, one of the challenges I find with, with the issue of light is we're sometimes biased 
with our life. So I want you to picture the scene, right? Um, you're getting ready for youth group. Or you're getting ready to go to your regroup or go to church or whatever. So you start suiting up with your light, right? Going to church, got the light of Jesus in my heart. All right. Got the light of Jesus because the lamp of the body is the eye. So I got my light. All right. I'm saddled up. Got the lamp into my feet, light into my path. I got the word of God. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's some light, baby. And I'm going to Bible study. I'm going to church. Hey, everybody, you got your light. I got my light. This is some awesome light. You know, and I got it everywhere. I'm blinding you with the light of the glory of Jesus. Amen, amen. Right? So we, that's what we do. We're very proud of our light. And then after our Bible study, after church, whatever it is, like, oh, man, I got to go to work. Oh, what do I, I got to go to work. Got to put this out. It might go on my desk, but it will stay unlit. All right. Um, and I got to, I got, oh, got to deal with that. I got to put that away. Got to put this away. Wait, though. All right, I'm going to put a little fish next to my tail light, though. Um, it's going to be awesome, right? So when we go into the real world, we kind of tone down the light. Right? Oh, we, we don't need so much light. Or if, if, if there's too much light, man, people might say things or do things or whatever. And so we, we start deciding when we want to be light. And yet Jesus was, was really clear. He said, um, you're just the light of the world. And he goes on in his verse to say, you're not supposed to stick it under a basket, hide it away somewhere. No, he says, you're supposed to put it out. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. So he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. I mean, this is all we're really supposed to do right here, right? We just put it, and it's for all. You see, what Jesus really wants of us, and this is something that I am still struggling to to find the right uh, demonstration of, is he just wants stable consistency. Right? So we roll into church, and we have our light. We roll out of church, and we go to work, or to school, or into the community, or hanging out with friends, or having a barbecue, and we're just the same light. Because he says, ultimately, you just display it. And everybody, everybody, is to see it. Everybody. And when Jesus says this, I mean, he's he's really certain. He's like, you are light. It's not you should be, could be, might be. He says, you are. You are. He can't fathom people that are Christians but not lit. I mean, it just, it would elude him completely. Invisible light is not in Jesus' mindset at all. Invisible light's like an efficient government agency or a Disney person that can act. It's not possible, all right? Not possible. He says, I want you to be light so you can show the word of God, the will of God, and the worship of God. So it's just display it. Put it out. Be proud. He says, because really to not, to miss it, is to be aimless. To, to not be this really is aimless Christianity. He's laying out purpose. Here's the purpose for why I saved you. And so if we don't do this, we're aimless. And for Jesus, he says, to be aimless fundamentally is to be useless. 
I mean, these are where he has some strong words. Jump back into verse 13. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, here's a thing. Uh, anybody, I know like the little chemist minds in here are like, wait a minute, salt can't lose saltiness. You're right, it's like the fawn's losing its cool. It's not possible. But here's, here's how this worked back in the first century, right? Uh, you would have a guy, and he's going to be a vendor, and he's going to sell salt. So he goes to a wholesaler, and he buys his salt. And it's pure salt. It's grade A stuff. It's awesome, everything else. And he goes, okay, well, I paid a lot for this. How can I get a markup on this and, and maximize how much I, I can do that with? And so what he would do is he would take salt, and then he would take some other product. For us, it's baking soda today. And he would just do this. Right? He goes, oh, man, I'm, I'm doubling the order now. This is awesome. Right? That's all he would do. And he would just kind of swirl it together, you know? And then sell it as salt. And then eventually, maybe somebody else buys this and they take some of that. They go, I want to sell this to a friend. And so what do they do? They take their concoction and they do the same thing. Right? And they dilute it more and pass it off. This is a pretty common problem in the first century. And so when Jesus says this, they know what he's talking about. What he's saying to them is, listen, don't start cutting me out and adding other things in. Otherwise, you become useless really quick. When you have this half-hearted devotion or this half-hearted sense of trust or this half-hearted sense of purpose, where you don't think Jesus is sufficient for things, so we go, I need other things to offset Jesus for sufficiency. He says, all you're doing is eventually diluting the salt. You're cutting the out for other things. And as Christians, boy, we, we sometimes struggle with this in all sorts of ways. Sometimes it's for things like immorality. We just sort of start to lose our effectiveness as salt because we pour into our lives other things that are just immoral. Or sometimes we pour in religion. We forget the gospel, we forget grace, we forget mercy, we forget meekness, we take again self-assertion and forcefulness and drive in, in negative ways as far as how they tether to religion. We focus on law more than God's grace. And that's going to cause us to lose our saltiness. Maybe it's relying on secularism. Maybe it's just losing the gospel for morality. It's really easy to emphasize morals over gospel. Emphasize rules over gospel. Emphasize activism or humanitarianism. Those things aren't necessarily bad or wrong. But if they're devoid of the gospel and we are the light and salt of the world, we, we are failing massively. Because what Jesus wants us to own, and I think it's so critical, it's this absolute conviction that the good news of Jesus is the only tool that will change a single thing on this planet. We talk about change all the time, and we need change here, and we need change there, and we need to get this person to bring change, and we need to seek that group to make change. And you know what? That is just silliness. It's absolute, ridiculous silliness. Jesus is really clear. One thing will change everything. That's it. Just the gospel. Just go be salt. Go be light. Love your world. Share my message. That will change everything. But what we do is, go, no, 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 no. But we need all this other stuff. I got to throw in more baking soda. All the tools of the world often in the name of religion, 
And Jesus says, you know what? It just means you're going to lose your saltiness. You're just going to lose your saltiness. And what happens if you lose your saltiness? He says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's just like cold coffee or cigarette butts or used gum. He says it's just, it's just a leftover. And so that is, in, in, in a very real way, a very real warning to us to truly make sure that, that we go, man, light is to be light. Salt is to be salt. And we are to be both to our world. To not suppress it, to not avoid it, to not redefine it, to not be ashamed of it, to not doubt it, but to be it. I mean, boy, he is so clear to this. In fact, we have one of our young men in the church, we call him Double T. Be no double T, he is awesome. And uh, we had uh, a think tank down at the Duval Grill, I don't know, like a month ago or something like that. And, and he was talking about kind of owning the idea of his purpose. And he, he basically says, hey man, if you're my friend at school, you're just going to hear about Jesus if you're my friend. It's sort of an occupational hazard of being my buddy. And I thought, man, there's a guy that gets his purpose. I mean, I love that. So it's just, it's just the reality. You're going to be my friend, you're going to hear about Jesus. That's salt. That's light. So, with that, how are we to be basically glowing salt licks for Jesus? Um, which way? I got this one for you. This is awesome. Ready? Wait for it. Nice. All right. You are a glowing salt look for Jesus right there. All right. So, what does that mean? Why? Right? I mean, because that's really what this, you're like, I want one of these now. I know you do. You want one of these as a nightlight. You're like, I, I'm going to the feed store, buy me a four pounder, a couple of glow sticks, calling it done. All right, so why be a glowing salt look for Jesus? That's the real question. It's not just purely to share the gospel, though that's the real big part of it. But there's something even higher and loftier and more important. Jesus says in Matthew 14, so that they may see your good works. Right? I mean, this is why we do this. It's not so we can see each other's good works. It's not so we can all be encouraged together. Like I said, it's not so we stay in the salt shaker and enjoy it, but so others. Others can see the good works. Now, in this, you have to understand, some will hate what they see. Some will hate it. This is what we talked about earlier. In fact, Go back up to verse 11. He said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Technically, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes stop at verse 10. Verse 11 to verse 16 is all one idea. So Jesus opens up the idea of salt and light by saying, Hey, blessed are you when you're going to be persecuted for this. So he warns us in advance that if you really live as salt and you really live as light and you're consistent with those things and you do so graciously and lovingly but accurately and truthfully, 
you're going to have some people that see those good works and they don't like those good works. And yet what is so cool to me about this when he says, hey, they're going to revile you, which means, uh, you know, they're going to be like, oh, you're a holy roller, you're a Bible thumper, whatever, you're too radical or extreme. They're just going to see you in a certain light. They may joke around about you in the break room. Neighbors will think you're a little kooky, whatever. They talk behind your back. He says, that's just going to happen. And some are going to persecute you, which means they pursue you or try to put you to flight. You know, I've known people that have just made enemies at work because of their faith. Those people try to get them fired or, you know, get them demoted or get them in trouble in some way. And it's going to happen sometimes. Sometimes it says they'll utter, uh, utter evil against you falsely. Right? They don't like the fact that you live in a certain way. So they want to make you look like a hypocrite. But Jesus says, whenever that happens, he says, it's an occasion for happiness and enjoyment and extreme joy. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, same story, same parallel, he literally says, leap for joy. When you are persecuted, leap for joy. I mean, that is the craziest sounding thing ever. He says, but that's what you're supposed to do. I think about this in Acts chapter 5 when all the apostles go before the religious authorities and they say, stop preaching Jesus. And they say, we can't stop preaching Jesus. And they say, oh yeah, fine. Bam. And they beat them all. And they're all beaten. And they come out bloody and bruised and battered. And what are they doing? Chest bumps, high fives. They're excited. Because they said, we were worthy to be persecuted for his name's sake. And it says they were rejoicing. See, it's fascinating to me because when we are persecuted, so, you know, people say you're an extreme whatever and, you know, they mock you for your beliefs and your thoughts and that kind of thing. What Jesus says is, you know, it's not an opportunity for temper, but rather a proper temperament. It's not temper, temperament. And the temperament is, you know what? You can't get me down. The temperament is, man, I don't even hate you, even though you're making fun of me. I'm not angry at you, even though you're persecuting me. I don't think you're a doofus, at least not to your face, maybe in my heart a little bit, but I'm working on that. You know, like, I want to have a disposition that says, forgive them. I, they don't know what they're doing. I want to have a disposition that says, you know what, man, I, I, I'm just not going to get beat down by this because you know what? I understand why you're doing this, right? You, you don't, you, ultimately, they don't know any better. Ultimately, their eyes are blind. They're under the sway of the wicked one. All these things are in the New Testament. We should hurt, break, ache, feel pity, and grief. But as we rejoice, we hurt for them, but we rejoice in ourselves because you know what? We're worthy. But that means, man, we're doing something right. When you're persecuted, you're doing something right. Now, I'm not talking about being the giant Pez dispenser that just brings agitation. But I am talking about that right, balanced, blended salt. Now, like I said, some will hate it. Some will persecute. But some will love what they see. Some will say, we don't want it, we prefer darkness, we prefer bland, but others will see, and they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Verse 16. They'll glorify God. And I think this is a really important point. The reason we, we, we do this, that we live this purpose, is not simply so others embrace our way of life, and it's certainly not so others are sort of pressured into embracing our values, it's not even so people praise us and say, wow, you are so dedicated and so devout. It's not to do any of that. It's really so that in the end, people go, there's a God because you're different. 
I mean, really, some of you, you're going to go back to your high school reunion or whatever, and they'll be like, I remember you, dude, you had a mullet, and you were never sober for four years. And now, you're different. That, God must have got a hold of you. See, our goal in living a salt and light is show that. God gets the credit. Because you know who gets the credit? No matter God. We're not good people because we're good people. We're not pure people because we're pure people. I read a quote last week. The heart of a good man is a bad place. And a bad man is worse. So God gets the credit for saving, for blessing, for strengthening, for developing, for shaping us into the image of His Son. All of that, God gets the credit. So as we live as salt and light, and as we help and care and invest and mature, and man, we do all those things. We're doing this the whole time. The whole time that God would get the credit. Our good works, but by His grace, so people see Him. See, all of this is why, as a church, we've said what our heart is for everybody here is that we would all say to ourselves, I am a missional theologian. I mean, this is in large part why we land on this phrase. It seems like, well, you know, whatever, it's kind of a lengthy phrase and it has a lot of syllables and it's sort of Christianese and all of that, but it's intentional. I mean, to be salt is really to be missional, to be light is really to be a theologian. Right? Because light is the illumination of God's word and truth and heart and good news and personhood. Missional means we're out there in the world, for the world, blessing the world, seasoning the world, purifying the world, preserving the world. And so we are, by nature, a missional theologian. Every one of us should see ourselves not in this light. And as I say this, I want you to understand, you don't say, I am a missional theologian because it's what I should be. Because it's what I should be. Like, it's like eating your broccoli or something. It's just good for me to do this. No, actually, it's because it is what I am held accountable by God to be. He says, the day I saved you is the day I made you salt. The day I saved you is the day I made you light. Saltless salt is useless. Non-illuminating light is just darkness. So, in saving you, I hold you accountable to live out that which you are. We don't need to pray, Jesus, help me to be light today. What we need to pray is, Jesus, I am light today. Help me to be very aware of that and to live that out properly. That's all we really need to do. Because fundamentally, it is who I am, not just what I do. It's who I am, not just what I do. So here's a, a thing we have. We, we did this a few weeks ago. And uh, unfortunately, not all of the cards made it up here. Uh, but we have these little pictures, and I think we can bring up that right there. I am praying for blank to know Jesus. And we've been pinning these up on the board at the Hub. We've put some of the pictures online, but we've uh, kind of frosted out the names. So, you know, just so people aren't like, hey, saw you're praying for me on Facebook. Thanks. Um, but... Uh, but we're putting all of these up there, and so we're going to pass out some of these cards, and we encourage you, uh, you know, to take one, because, again, part of being salt and being light is even thinking about that person in our world, that we go, man, I want to see that person come to know Jesus. I want to start praying for them. What we're doing as a, a leadership, and certainly inviting you to be a part of down at the Hub, is we're pinning all of those up on a board, and we're stopping and just praying for all those people. I mean, I'll go to my 
inbox to grab something out and I'll stop and I'll put my hands on the board and I'll just pray through the cards. And if we're to have a heart for salt and light and the gospel and people and our world around us, man, we should really have that person. We go, man, I am praying for them to come to know Christ. I want Jesus to use me as the salt and light that I am to be a part of that. And so we encourage you to think about that person, put their name on the card, and then, man, drop it in the offering basket when it comes to buy, because we want to pin it to the board at the hub. And we want to be praying for those people as leaders. Anybody that comes into the hub, you can pray for them. If you want to stop by and do that, that is awesome. And then you as an individual, you know the name you're praying for. But we encourage you to do that. And it's a huge thing, because again, sometimes the key to being salt and light, sometimes is simply starting to cultivate the heart for the people around us. By praying for them. And trusting God to use us and develop us. And so this is the manifesto of the king. He says, I promise to bless you if you do certain things, but no matter what, for every one of you, I have, I have a purpose to use you. Which is to change the world, to reveal me to the world, to salt the world with the good news of grace. Let's pray together. Jesus Thank you so much for your wisdom given to us, for your word, for this manifesto that challenges us so radically. Um, and man, I pray that even though we had some fun with salt and some fun with light, and some of that was even convicting, I pray that really what it leads us to do is to go from this place and say, I want to be a consistent, glowing salt lick for Jesus. That that would just be our heart for your name, for your fame, so that others may see those things and they can go either, I don't want that Jesus, and they persecute, or they say, wow, I see those good works. I need that Jesus, and they believe. Use us for your fame and your name. Amen.